We have any golfers? Anybody like playing golf? Peter does. David does. Matt does badly. That's all good. I love playing golf. And uh, when I was about 16, I had the choice to, to pursue a career in golf, but I didn't do it. Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe that was a bad thing. Well, one thing you learn about golf very quickly is that your margin for error is very small. There's a thing called a hook, which means the ball goes that way, or a slice, which means the ball goes that way. And when you line the ball up, there's a lot of set protocols to get the ball right in the right place. But when you think about the impact zone, you've got such a little area, and if that club face doesn't hit the ball, I won't smash the television, right at the right spot, what is a millimetre out at impact could be 150 metres out when it lands. And this morning I want to share with you a little bit about some theology that I believe is like that. If we get it wrong, what happens at the other ends is that we end up way off where God really wants us to be. The margin for error is so small. And it's linked in with this passage here. We've been looking at foundations of faith and the writer of Hebrews writes and there's sort of a tone in his voice like, Come on, guys, we need to grow up. Do I have to go over these things again? Therefore, we leave the discussion of elementary teachings of Christ and we go on to maturity. We don't have to go over again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, the doctrine of baptisms, notice that that's plural, and the laying on of hands. Now, this was a, we don't know who the author of Hebrews was, but he was someone who was writing to a Christian church who we assume had entered in and been through all the basic stuff. And yet he's saying, come on, guys, we need to move on. We need to go on to the deeper things with God. And then we've been using this as our key verse in our study. No one can enter into the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, Jesus made that statement way before the writer of Hebrews said anything. And embedded in those two things, being born of water and born of Spirit, are those four things. Repentance, faith, and baptisms all culminate with a baptism in water. But the laying on of hands and the second baptism of baptism in the Holy Spirit is linked into born of the Spirit. Now, why I say this is so critical? Because Jesus said no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Now, that makes this an incredibly fundamental subject to understand and believe in. If we don't get those two elements right, it hinges and implicates a whole list of things that could, should, and would happen if we entered into what God wanted us to. So the authenticity and maturity of our faith stems from getting the foundations right. If we get those foundations wrong, we don't embrace and enter into everything God wants. So we've sort of been asking the question, what does Scripture teach is the required process of initiation to bring us into a full relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
And if you were to go to different churches, you would get vastly different answers to those questions. So it's important that we use scripture as our foundation, not just our experience or not something that we'd like to happen. We have to come back to God's word and base everything on that. So what we're really asking of each other and and of ourselves when we do this subject is have the right theological foundations been understood in my mind, but have they also been experienced in my life? We've been digging around in those questions. And we've come up with four things that Jesus was saying. We need to repent. We need to believe in Jesus Christ. We need to be baptized in water. And we need to receive the Holy Spirit. That's fundamental to entering into the kingdom of God, to calling yourself a Christian, to walking the way God wants us to. That first step reconnects us with our Father God. The sin that that we inherited from our parents separated us from God and we walked under God's wrath. And yet God made a way for us to come back into fellowship with our Father. We cry out, Abba, Father, our Daddy God. And we come back into this beautiful relationship with God by dealing with our sin, by acknowledging that it's offensive to God, by confessing with our mouth that I've offended God in lots of different ways. And then by doing that, God cleanses me. No longer is God angry with me, but I have peace with my father. It's like the prodigal son coming home and entering into that beautiful relationship with our father. So we cleanse our thoughts. We cleanse our actions of the past and we start with a fresh slate. The second step of launching into a relationship with God is believing in the person and the work of Jesus. So we believe that he died for us. We heard that this morning, that he hung on that cross for you and I. And we personalize that. We, the word is we appropriate what Jesus did 2,000 years ago for my life. Yes, I know that Christ died for me. Yes, I know it should have been me hanging on that cross, the price of my sin was death, but Jesus took my place. He was my substitute. He loved me so much that God made a way for us to enter into relationship. And then we've been looking at the third step, water baptism. So often in Christian circles, that gets a bit loose in how we interpret what Scripture says, but Scripture's really plain. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It's part of the package. My old life needs to be put to death. It needs to be put in a grave. I need to be washed clean. And then I need to be raised up into a new life, the life of the the Son of God living in me by his Spirit. And so it's the finale of repentance and belief and cleansing all comes to a head when we're washed in water and we're cleansed and all the rubbish is emptied out of our life. We become an empty void and we get raised up with the expectation that God is going to fill the emptiness with his spirit. All the, all the bad stuff of our life, we've weeded it out through repentance and confession. And now we're saying, God, fill that vacuum with your presence and enable me to live the life that you want me to live, not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. And so those first three steps are an emptying process and the fourth step is the filling process. But it's the fourth step that so often gets mismanaged in Christian circles. And we need to come back to scripture and fight 
hard for the truth. When Jesus stood at the well with the woman, he said to her, there's a day coming when you won't worship at a particular place anymore, but you'll have to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, what happens if I have a margin of error in my truth? It can go crazy, hey? And we can end up with all sorts of people believing that they have the truth, thinking that they're walking in truth, have partial truth, have bits of the truth. But God is saying, no, you need to worship in spirit and truth. You need to walk in the truth of what I've instructed you to do. But you also need to realize that worship, like we've been looking at this morning, is a spiritual thing. It's not a head thing. It's not a heart thing. It's a spiritual thing where our spirituality comes alive when the Spirit fills us and that connects with God's Spirit and we're able to worship in a way we never have been able to before. It's a beautiful thing to encounter. And what happens as God's Spirit indwells us is that we manifest the life of Christ. We have power to do supernatural things and we have the character of God teaching us and training us to have fruit of the Spirit. So we have the 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 character of Christ, and we have the power of Christ in us, working in us. So what I want to say this morning, and and it's important to me that we don't compromise on God's truth. Every one of those steps is necessary. They're absolutely necessary for us to experience. And unfortunately, in our exposure to teaching and church circles and environments, sometimes we don't get exposed to those four things. Sometimes we are not discipled well. People haven't walked us through the scriptures, haven't taught us how to to observe what the practice was in the book of Acts and to copy it and to enter into it. And so time lags can happen. So I can repent, believe in Christ and repent, but I might not get water baptised. Or I might get baptized in water, but not really have repented. And so we can have all these sorts of mismatched situations that happen in our life. Now, what happens if we don't enter through that process, repentance, faith, baptism, and baptism in the Spirit, is that we end up with deficiencies. We end up with a theological base that's flawed. We end up with curtailed theology, meaning we just believe the bits and pieces that we like or that suit us. We end up being fearful of things that we're not exposed to. We get embarrassed. One of the biggest things for me was I felt like such a fool when someone started to teach me about the Holy Spirit that for so many years I'd been part of church and yet no one had taught me about the Spirit of God and I felt like an idiot. As a grown man, I thought, thought, well, why didn't I know? Why wasn't I taught? And then I was inhibited. Like if Philip had spoke in tongues when I was a young man coming to faith, I'd have run out the door. I was so fearful and so inhibited in my life. And yet if I read in scripture, it was there in black and white. People spoke in tongues. It wasn't a big issue to God. And yet for us in the church, it's such a stumbling block. And so we get defensive and then we have all these divisions of the conservatives and the Pentecostals and it goes on. And yet we're all supposed to be on the same page. And so we've got to wrestle with God, what is your truth? not Mark Wilson's truth, not Philip's truth, not anybody else's truth. God, what are you saying? What have you ordained? What have you set up for us to experience and to know? And that means some of us have to relearn. You know the old saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks? 
the most painful experience of my life was undoing what I had been taught. So much easier to come in fresh when you don't have knowledge and just pick it up. You can run with it. But when you've been indoctrinated or taught to believe certain things and then you have to undo those things, it attacks your sense of self-worth and your pride. And it's like all your foundations crumble and then you've got to build up again and you feel awkward and you feel silly. And the problem is it's not your fault. It's that you haven't been discipled or you haven't been trained and taught and fed properly to enter into the things that are really elementary. They're the startup things. How, how many of us have been in church for 10 years or more? Heaps of us, right? And we're still on the basics. We should have left this behind. It should be something that we teach in the new Christians class, not in the class of 20, 30, 40-year-old Christians who've been walking by faith. So we need to realize that in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was at work and he came upon people. People were anointed for a task or for a position and, and they would be prayed for and a prophet or someone would lay hands and God would come upon that person and enable them to do things that they couldn't normally do. And to worship God in the Old Testament, you had to abide by the law and the priesthood and all the, the rules and stipulations of entering into relationship with God. And it was like God was on the other side of that gymnasium. It's like you could never get near to God because of the rules and the laws and the sacrifice. But God tore all that down and made a way for us to enter into a new covenant of intimacy with God. Not God out there, God in here, God within us. And the Jews knew that, that God was going to pour out his spirit. They were waiting for a time when something was going to change. And they knew their Messiah was coming, but they had no idea that God's spirit was going to indwell the hearts of men. That was radical. To abolish the law, to do away with the temple and all the, all the protocols that had to be done, and to know that every man, woman and child who had a heart after God could meet God face to face is radical, but it's beautiful to know that we can know God that well and God can know us that intimately. Remember when Moses used to come down from the mountain, his face was shining from knowing God and meeting with God face to face. Corinthians tells us that what we have is so much more than what Moses had. The intimacy that we can have with God is incredible. So the Old Testament changed, was radically changed. And when John the Baptist came and Jesus came, they started to preempt. They started to say, this is going to happen. John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So they kept teaching people, this time is coming. It's imminent. It's drawing near very soon. Jesus kept saying, it's better that I go back to heaven because then I can send my spirit who can be with you and indwell you and empower you and comfort you. And so we get this picture of something about to happen, something incredible. And Jesus told his disciples to wait. Wait for the gift that my Father's promised you. And you shall receive the Holy Spirit and you shall be my witnesses and you shall receive power and you'll go out to the ends of the earth. And so we, when we get to the book of Acts, we see the manifestation or the 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened for the first time. And it's an incredible thing. Suddenly, a sound like the wind blowing of a violent storm came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. And so we see a radical change in the apostles. In an upper room, fearful and frightened, suddenly Peter stands up in front of a whole crowd and says, this gift, this thing that you're seeing happening today is not about drunk men. It's God manifesting himself in human beings. And what's coming out of their mouth is supernaturally given to them because God is indwelling them. It's an overflow of God's presence. And he stood up and he said, this promise, what you're witnessing here is for you. It is for your children. It is for your children's children. And it is for people afar off. In other words, anyone that came into relationship with God was supposed to enter into an intimacy with the Holy Spirit by receiving him into our lives. And so Acts goes on, the book of Acts goes on to show us what happens when people are filled by the Spirit, when that Spirit overflows in our life and we're submitted to the the Lordship of God. Supernatural things happen. The church was built, the church pushed out, people got saved, and the thing became an incredible thing that nobody could stop. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. The book of Acts is incredible. Page after page after page after page is God doing incredible things through ordinary people who were available to let God fill them and were obedient to walk in what God had for them. And that's the challenge for us. When we come to the epistles, Romans and onwards, the writers don't go into a lot of this because they're writing to a churches that are already established and they assume the people reading the letters already know this, have already experienced it. So the book of Acts is really the focus for us of understanding the Holy Spirit. As we move on, it's assumed that we know. So this morning I want to share with you what does it really mean to receive the Holy Spirit. The Bible uses lots of nouns and lots of verbs to describe receiving the Holy Spirit. The nouns are words like the promise or the gift or the deposit. Okay, and we, we can understand those words. A seal, uh, like a, a promise is something that you get because it's being promised to you, okay? So this was a long-awaited gift. But a gift is something we have to take, we have to receive it, we have to be willing to possess it, and it's a deposit, something that's put within us. But it's really the verbs that explain to us what it means to receive the Holy Spirit. The words that the scripture uses are given, received, baptized, filled, fall on, come upon, poured out upon, seal, and anoint. They're all very dynamic words. They're all words where something quite spectacular is happening. They're all set in the context of a downpour or a saturation or a flood. That's the root of all those words. 
And so it begs the question, can a person receive the Holy Spirit without knowing it? Not according to those words. It's like saying, yes, you can be baptised in water and not know it. It's not possible, huh? So it's not possible to be filled with the Spirit without knowing it. And yet in a lot of our theological circles, we're told when we invite Jesus into our heart, that's when we're sealed by God. But the Scripture doesn't teach us to invite Jesus into our heart. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he said he would send one just like him, his Spirit, to indwell us and empower us. And the other week, you'll remember, we looked at Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 19, where we worked through each of those steps, and it was possible for people to believe, to repent, to be baptized in water, but not yet to have been filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm so passionate about this topic, because I've told you, for 15 years, I pursued God, trying to do it in my strength and my power, and it wasn't until I realized that I'd missed out on that fourth step and entered into it that the whole Christian life came alive to me. There's a whole greater dimension out there that God wants us to have. We're supposed to have it from the very beginning, but a lot of us have been robbed by bad teaching, lack of discipleship, and fear of man. It comes down to being fearful of man. And we'll get onto that in just a little bit. But nowhere in the New Testament is the Holy Spirit received without the person knowing it. The apostles actually went looking for the signs. And when they didn't find the manifestations of the Spirit, they said, something's wrong here. What do you believe? Oh, we believe this. Or oh, you've missed something. Let's fix that up. They prayed for them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and there was evidence that they were filled with the Spirit. Now, I believe that you can tell whether someone's filled with the Spirit or not, has received the Spirit by the language that they use. You are not likely to say, yeah, I've been baptized with the Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit saturated me or drenched me if that hasn't been your experience. So sometimes the language people use is a giveaway of what they've been experiencing. What we can all agree on is that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is receiving a filling, yes? We all agree on that. How do you know when something's full? When it flows over. If I fill my petrol tank up and I get to the top and I'm not looking, it'll flow out. If I'm filling up a jug and I'm not careful what I'm doing, I only know it's the kettle's full when it overflows, okay? That's the same principle of receiving the Spirit. There's an overflow. When God fills you up from the tip of your toes to the top of your mouth, he fills you to such a point that you overflow, okay? And that overflow comes from your mouth. That's quite a natural thing to understand. When you're full of fun, you laugh. When you're full of anger, you shout or you curse or you swear. When you're full of, of sorrow, you cry and you sob. And when you're full of God, God comes out. It's not weird science. It's natural because Jesus said, whatever we are full of, will overflow from our mouth. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, 
And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth will speak. So if God fills me up and I get full to overflowing, then that manifestation will come out of my mouth. And every time the reception of the Holy Spirit is described in Acts, it's always, always accompanied by an overflow of the mouth. They were plunged into the Spirit, full of the Spirit, drunk deeply of the Spirit. They were sealed with the Spirit. And how did it manifest? A verbal expression of some form of involuntary speech. That was the sign. I mean, God could have used any number of signs, but that was just the way we see in Scripture that it happened. And it's the most natural thing, that spontaneous praise would come out from our mouth. The most common evidence of the overflow of the Holy Spirit is the gift of tongues. That's a horrible word because it's really languages. Which language does God speak? Every language. So for God to use Philip this morning to speak a language, I don't know what language it was, is that so absurd for God to be able to do, really? It's quite natural, isn't it? God is the author of every language. And at the Tower of Babel, when man was so full of pride and so selfish, God said, I'll give you all different languages and I'll scatter you. But when we come to Pentecost, we see God do the opposite. He brought men to faith through a gift of languages. And it's probably not till you go out of Australia and you live in a culture where people speak another language that it suddenly becomes not such a big thing. Languages is nothing. But God can use any language and place it in us for his glory. And out of our mouth will come praise. Praise to our God. So somebody's probably sitting here this morning thinking, do I have to speak in tongues? By making that statement, you're already showing that you're closed off to God. What we should be saying is, can I speak in tongues? Because if it's a gift from God, we should be hungry to experience everything that God has for us. God wants us to enter in. A person who's hungry for God's presence would ask, Lord, I want everything you've got for me. I'm hungry. The scriptures actually say desire or eagerly desire the gifts. That means go after them hard, pursue them. Don't be fearful of them. They're from God and God alone. And if we're going to question what God is going to give us, then we're really not allowing God to be God. We're not coming and saying, God, here's my life. Use it, fill it, empower it. We're saying, God, I'll accept you on these terms and conditions. And we can't come to God like that. We've got to come open. There was either tongues or there was prophecy. Now, when I was filled with the Spirit, what happened was a group of men prayed for me and I felt like someone set me on fire. It was like I had the most blazing fire in my stomach and it went down into my legs and into my feet and it came up and it came up and it came up and I prophesied. I didn't speak in tongues. I actually prophesied. And I, un I didn't even understand what I was speaking out of my mouth, but I knew it was birthed of God. It wasn't like my intellect said, I should pray this. My spirit manifested it really with me observing because it was God doing it. 
So I don't have a line in the sand where I say, I think you have to speak in tongues. I believe it's a common gift, and most often that will be what happens. But I think as you read through Scripture, you can see oftentimes they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Does that mean they all spoke in tongues and a few prophesied? Or does that mean they some spoke in tongues, some prophesied? I think there's enough gray area to allow for both. But what I'm saying categorically is that there has to be an involuntary overflow from our mouth. That's the biblical model. It's not the Mark Wilson model. It's not the Baptist model. It's not the Pentecostal model. It's the, it's the words of the book of Acts model. And the book of Acts was given to us as our model for the church. And I was really interested when a couple of weeks ago, I asked some people to write their vision for this church. Somebody posted this up on the wall. I don't know who it was. Do you understand we need revival? We really need revival in the church. But revival is not discovering some new, innovative program that God might download to us. It's going back and living out the book of Acts. That's revival. When we allow God to be God and manifest what he wants to manifest in our lives and be obedient to that, then we will enter in. When Jesus was baptized, he went into the desert. And when you read Luke 4, it says, and filled with the Spirit, he came back to Jerusalem, led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. They're the principles. It starts with the filling, and then it depends on our obedience to let God be God in our lives. So how does the reception of the Holy Spirit happen? It does not happen automatically. You have to ask for it. You have to seek it and pursue it. Sometimes it happened in Scripture involuntary. When Peter went to the house of Cornelius, he was sharing the gospel, and suddenly Cornelius broke out in this strange language and started praising God. And Peter went, my goodness, what's happening here? You know, so God can do what he wants. He's God. But the normal process was that the apostles or elders or leaders who had already experienced that infilling prayed for others to experience that infilling, and it happened. It happens when people come hungry. It happens when people don't come fearful. It happens when people are open to let God be God. So the reception of the Spirit's hard to describe because it's literally an out-of-this-world experience. You could be on fire, feel like you're on fire. You might be shaking. There might be heat. There could be incredible joy that manifests in your life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you've been someone who's been bound up for many, many years and God touches you, it's not surprising that God would give you joy. If you've been someone whose emotions have shut down because of abuse, it's not surprising that you might cry uncontrollably because the greatest gift of all is love. So we're not just talking about manifestations of supernatural things. We're talking about in the context of love. God is filling us with his love. God is love. And so our hearts are changed. There's a, there's a transaction that happens in us that turns us into the person of Christ. Sometimes there can be an incredible release 
in our lives because we've suddenly and finally given God control and surrendered our lives to him. The only way I can describe it is like this. This is the shuttle Columbus, okay? That is strapped to an incredibly powerful vessel of fuel, okay? And it launches into space and then by gravity comes back again. But for that space shuttle to be used again, it has to be filled with fuel and energized again and sent off again. And that's the principle for us. We start off with a launch. The receiving of the Holy Spirit is just the launching pad. It's just the start. And then we go on to do great things for God. And as we give out and give out and give out, God says, be filled up again. So we never stop. Be ye being filled. Keep on being filled. Give your lives away. That's the context. Go to the hungry, go to the lost, go to the broken and minister, not your own strength, not your own power, but God himself manifesting through you, through all sorts of possibilities and then saying, God, I need your power and your strength again so I can go and do it again. And it's just this ongoing cycle. God, I need you. Apart from God, we can do nothing. So we've got to come and say, God, if I'm really going to be a minister for you, It's got to come out of the context of being filled with God. Through him we live and move and have our very being. So here's where I want to finish today. The reception of the Holy Spirit, entering into things of the Spirit, boils down to simply allowing God to have his way in us. This is what Peter said. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might bring nations to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of those things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Catalyst is a contemporary charismatic Baptist church, okay? I don't care about the word contemporary. Contemporary just means we use songs that are modern. What's vital to the DNA of this church is that we are charismatic. Charismatic means we are open to the Holy Spirit. We are really saying we have an agenda that is determined by and tuned into the Spirit of God. And God can use any one of us in that agenda. Like this morning, Philip didn't come with the plan to speak. God prompted him and he responded. Now, if we all come with that attitude, filled with the Spirit, hungry for God, ready to serve, willing to do anything, then God will manifest himself through gifts. It's a no-brainer. And those gifts are supernatural. And we should be looking for them to happen. In fact, they should be the acid test of whether we are really tuned in to God. Those things will happen if we're in the right place. So we have three choices. We choose to deny or limit the working of the Spirit. We say, God, I don't like tongues, so I'm not going to accept it. And so we have to start making choices about what we're willing to take on and what we're not willing to. So by doing that, we conclude either that the gift stopped or that they're for a select group of people, and when we end up playing with God's word, 
we need to come back to the truth of God's word. The danger is if we try to limit God, we quench his spirit. And as I stand here today, as a man that will stand before God and be judged doubly for what I teach you, we are going to be a charismatic church because I believe that scripture teaches that's the only church that is truly the church of God. Am I saying that's easy? No. I'm saying it's the hardest road to travel because if we default this way, we quench God. If we default that way, we go into excess. And so the hardest thing is to stay within the parameters of God's word and his model for us. But that's where we're going to go. That's where we're headed as a church. That means for some of us, that will be a journey because we haven't been exposed to those sorts of things. But here's the important thing. Just because that hasn't been your experience or my experience doesn't mean we should rob others of entering into the fullness of what God wants. That's the critical thing. Even if we've been robbed and it's painful and it's hard to relearn and to enter in because we're fearful or whatever, we've got to put that aside and say, God, what do you want for your church? What do you want to allow as we gather together? We want people to have freedom and liberty. And there should be all sorts of things happening that qualify. That's the second point. We follow the exact pattern and instruction documented by Scripture. Then there's no arguments. People say, Mark, should people speak in tongues? Yeah, Paul said, it's fine. But no more than three, and there must be an interpretation. It's clear as mud. No, it's not. It's clear as crystal. You know what I mean? Like there's protocols so that we don't go outside the boundaries. That keeps everybody safe and comfortable. Those things are put there for our own benefit. And so it's not surprising that we're going to see things happen that we may not have happened before. And then the last part is we can end up saying, well, anything that happens is of God. And that's just equally as dangerous because not everything that happens is of God. We need to test it. We need to test what happens in the life of the church so we don't get into excess. So the DNA of this church is that any given mix of gifts are assigned to you. I believe there's people here that don't even know what their spiritual gifts are and God's going to use you in incredible ways. I can't decide that. That's something God does. He deposits in Daryl's life gifts that he wants. He deposits in Chris's life. And it's our job to be available and open to God to let them flow. The gifts are imparted at God's discretion and unmerited. You know, sometimes when we come to church, we expect the pastor or the leader to have all the gifts. I have a handful of gifts that I know of. And I'm quite comfortable with that. And I don't have to try to be somebody that I'm not. I know that God's given me a prophetic gift and he's given me a gift to teach and to be an administrator. That's about it, really. So if you look for me to be the be-all and end-all, you're going to be pretty disappointed. But that's the beauty of the family of God, that what I lack, you have. And when we work together in unison and in unity, then we see all these things manifest and people are ministered to and the church is vibrant and people get saved and they come in and they get ministered to and they leave the past behind. They get discipled and mentored and they grow and they reproduce and they enter into it and the church becomes this dynamic thing that can't be stopped. That's what it's supposed to be. It's called revival. But revival's just going back and getting what we were supposed to have in the beginning. And most of us got robbed. That's the tragedy of all this. So we go back to basics, we get the basics right, and we enter into the fullness. 
So things like words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, faith, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, languages, interpretation of languages, serving, exhortation, giving, leadership, mercy, helps, administrations. They're just God being God through us. It's as simple as that. The question is, will you let God have his way in your life? Will you come and enter into everything that God wants for us? And we will say, Lord, if I've missed out, fill me. We all need filling. That's a no-brainer. The question is, have you received the Spirit of God into your life? Doesn't mean you can't relate to God if you haven't. You can still hear his voice, but you're in an Old Testament model. And God's got a new covenant. I will put my spirit within you. I will give you a new heart, not a heart of stone, but a heart of flesh. And it's all with a capital L-O-V-E. It's all set in the context of love. What good would it be for us to manifest all those gifts but not have love and not have the fruit of the spirit, not have love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. They go together. We need them all. And we need to go after them and go after them really hard. So expect manifestations of the Spirit. Expect expressive worship. There's freedom. It's okay for us to raise our hands, to dance, to do whatever we want. That's charismatic, gifts of God's grace being manifest. It's okay for us to be spiritually hungry, to go after the things of God, to have zeal. And that's all set in the context of moving out from this place and seeing others reap the benefit that we have. So the greatest is love. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the gift that you promised. Lord, when you created Adam and Eve, you knew that they would fall. You knew that you would draw a people to yourself called the Jewish people. You set up for them a nationhood of rules and regulations and the ways that they could relate to you. But Lord, even greater than that, you knew that your son would come and purchase a way for us not to know you through a priest, not to know you through sacrificing a lamb, but to know you by your presence indwelling us personally, a gift ordained for every one of us to know you in all your fullness, in all your glory, in all your majesty. And Lord, I want to stand here and I want to, I want to stand in the gap for those people who have never been taught truth. Lord, I want to apologize to them that someone didn't have the conviction of their heart to teach God's word and that some way, somehow they, they were fearful or were naive and didn't teach the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But Lord, we need to be walking in the truth of your word. Father, would you take us, every one of us, on a journey to enter into everything that you have got for us. Lord, where there's fear, you don't give a spirit of fear. Would you break it in Jesus' name? Where there's inhibition, Father, would you stamp on that by your power and allow people to enter into what you have promised them, the wonder of knowing the glory of God. Father, I want to thank you. You don't give us a stone when we ask for bread. You don't give us a snake 
you give us good things from your throne. And the greatest gift you could give us this Christmas was not a baby who died on a cross, but your presence that indwells our lives. That's the climax of the New Testament. It all hinges on knowing you and knowing your spirit and being born of water and being born of spirit. Father, I pray, take us on to know the deep things of God. Father, take us from the basics into the deep water and into great faith where we see exploits done for you in the context of this choice, church, that we could say only that was God, God and God alone. Father, would you move us on? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, flow. Holy Spirit, fall on us. Use us mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. We might just finish there today. I'm really conscious of the time. What I'd like to do is, sorry guys, is give people the opportunity to be prayed for this morning, okay? This is not a show. It's not a show, but it's serious stuff. There's nothing more serious at stake here than people knowing God in all his fullness. And if you haven't ever received that gift or you're not sure, then I'd love to pray with you. Cheryl and I will pray with you. If you know you're in a great place with God, I want to release you to go and have a cup of coffee and chat. But I really want to make this something where people don't feel like there's others watching or observing. It's a private, semi-private thing. And we just like to do it that way. Is that okay? Cool. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Keep pressing into God. Desire the gifts. Go after him. If you'd like someone to pray, please come and we'll pray for you.